Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Pat. Well, this morning we are back to John chapter, or well, to chapter 3, back to John and on to chapter 3. And so if you'd open your Bibles there, you might remember that at the end of chapter 2, as that chapter finished up, after Jesus had cleansed the temple, John talks about how Jesus had been doing many signs and wonders at that time. Um, he, does, he only highlights a few in his gospel, uh, but people were watching that, and some were saying, we believe in the name of this man, this person. But remember, John emphasized to us, but Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he didn't have to have anybody tell him what was in man because he knew what was in man, as in mankind, as in humanity is the word that's used there um, in the Greek. And so we have people watching, seeing things that are amazing, saying, oh, we like what we see here. Well, we, we, we'd like to follow someone who can heal people from their sicknesses and diseases, who can cast out demons, those kinds of things. But there's a difference between really entrusting yourself to someone and putting your, your, your faith in some kind of a miracle worker. And so chapter 3 takes us to a specific example. And we have a chapter break there, but really the flow just continues on down into chapter 3 because it starts off by just saying, now there was a man of the Pharisees. So it said before that, he didn't entrust himself to men. He says, but there was a man. He uses the same Greek word, by the way, for, for one, one member of humanity. And here's Jesus' interaction with him and how Jesus dealt with what was going on in this one man's heart. So follow along with me, if you will, as I read the first 10 verses of John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? So we're introduced to this man, Nicodemus, and told a few things about him. First of all, uh, we're told he's a Pharisee. Uh, and, and if you've read the, the Gospels and studied them at all, you, you're familiar with the Pharisees. Uh, but they were a sect of Judaism that was begun with good intentions. Um, after the exile and, and coming back again, earlier where their roots were, where the, they, the, 
a group of rabbis got together and said, well, you know, we don't want to violate God's law and end up being sent into exile again, sent into captivity again. And so they began to say, well, how can we keep people from even getting close to breaking the law? And so with, with I, what I believe are good intentions, they said, well, let's, let's set up these other traditions around the law so that people won't even get close to it. The problem is, it was made up of people with sinful hearts. And over time, the emphasis was on doing and on all these man-made regulations and rules and traditions. And, and people got so wrapped up in the, into, into this that, that they got this, of course, the name Pharisee means separated ones. So it indicates a good desire because if you're separated for God's purposes, that's what he wants. You're, to be, you're called to be holy, to be separated for him. But when you set, that set up a lot of rules that God didn't give, it devolves into a legalistic group with an overall wrong idea about God's ways. You ended up with people who, who counted how much they kept their own traditions and saw themselves as holy because of what they did, not because of a relationship with God. And we don't really know what Nicodemus's heart was like, but he was a, a leader within this group of Pharisees. And, and Luke chapter 11, if you read, turn over there with me, 11 verses 39 through 44, this, this group that Nicodemus was a leader within, Jesus rebuked the people in that group like this. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, clean out the inside, or the outside, you, excuse me, let me start over here. Now you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside you are full of, of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then... All things will be clean for you, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, yet you disregard justice and the law of God, love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. So you've come to the point where you're so wrapped up in your laws and your desire for respect and good words from others that you actually are defiling the people you come in contact with, just like an unmarked grave would defile a person. And so he was part of, of that group. Now... Just reading this, I, I think I would have liked Nicodemus as a person. I, I have a feeling from what we see here, maybe he was a bit like Paul, a very sincere Pharisee. And yet, a Pharisee who has had certain temptations that made them be condemned like Jesus did there. It also says he was a ruler. Uh, that means he was a member of the Sanhedrin, Israel's highest religious court, the, the one part of Israel that had a certain amount of authority over the, the people of Israel in, in, a, in a technical sense had authority over the Jews throughout the whole world. 
Now, because they were also under Roman rule, uh, the, the Romans uh, kept them from doing everything that they might have done. But he was a man of, of influence, a man of authority, a man of importance in, in the eyes of the people in his world. We also know that he was an older man. Now, we don't find that in verse 1, but by, by the time we get to verse 4, he says, how can a man be born when he is old, right? In essence, he says he himself is an old man. And this would be expected, of course, of someone who had reached his high level of influence and power in Jewish culture, uh, which respected age and experience. And it's also important to consider that he is an older man when you think about this conversation that we're about to look at. Here we have this older uh, man who is well taught. He knows the Old Testament scriptures, the traditions of the elders well. He's looked up to by, by the people who know him. And he's coming and he's going to talk to this 30-year-old carpenter who is teaching the people. Stop and think about the dynamics of that. And what it is that, that he might be thinking about this this miracle worker, but this young man, and what's, what might be in his mind. And then he makes his statement then to Jesus in, in verse 2. It says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so Nicodemus starts off really with a, a respectful title. He addresses Jesus as really like an equal, calling him a rabbi, uh, which literally, literally means master. Um, Nicodemus was a rabbi. And so he approaches him as from one rabbi to another. And then he makes a statement of fact. He states that we know. And so he presents himself as representing at least part of his fellow rulers. So here, here's a collaboration. They've been watching him. They've been seeing what he's doing, right? And he makes a declaration then of the, their findings. They have observed, and in their wisdom, they have come to a conclusion. And, and within the statement, of course, is implied a question, and who are you? What is it that you're doing? What are, what are you up to? He mentions as well that that they've seen his signs. They've recognized that he is doing miraculous things which give him credibility. And it's not bad that he sees these signs as a verification of who Jesus is and that he has been sent by God. Jesus himself uses this throughout his ministry. He talks about his signs when people ask him and say, well, look at the signs that I'm doing. When John the Baptist asks, are you the Messiah? He says, well, look at the signs, the things that I've, I've been doing. And so those, those miracles were given for a verification of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. <clears throat> Matter of fact, when you get to the end of this book, John will say many other signs Jesus did, right? But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But there's more to what Jesus is doing than just the miracles. And as the, the end of chapter 2 indicates, acknowledging someone as a miracle worker isn't enough with the purpose that Jesus has come for. Now, one other key word, short little word in, in Nicodemus' statement that we need to pay attention to is the word can. 
He says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And the word, the word can, it's a, it's a word that means to have the power or the ability to do something. That's the emphasis of that Greek word. And Jesus is going to take the words of Nicodemus and he's going to answer him appropriate to what Nicodemus states. And if you look down through these 10 verses and look for the word can or cannot, it pops up again and again. So Nicodemus says, well, you did miracles. Well, in order to have the ability to do that, God must be, have sent you to teach. God must be with you. And so that here Nicodemus, as this great teacher, as this Pharisee, as this ruler, makes a declaration. Here's what we've observed, and so God must be with you based on your signs. And Jesus, at this point, I think if Jesus were just any young man who was purporting to be a rabbi, a teacher, I think his response at this point would have been, Oh, Nicodemus, thank you so much for your endorsement. Thank you so much for recognizing this about me. Thank you for encouraging me to know that God is working in me. But that's not Jesus' reply. Because remember what chapter 1 told us about who Jesus is? Jesus was not just some young man ambitious and and wanting to get out into the teaching circuit to, to draw people after him for his own purposes. We learned that Jesus is the Word. Jesus in the beginning was with God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the one that the prophets spoke about that was going to come, the Messiah. All of those things that we learned about who Jesus is. And when we realize that, this this conversation just flips on its head, right? Nicodemus thinks, here I am, the scholar, talking to the would-be teacher who is a carpenter. Jesus approaches him as the Son of God, and he loves him. And he wants Nicodemus to know that he's missing a key element in all of this. And Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus focuses in on Nicodemus individually. You'll notice when Nicodemus makes his statement, he says, we know. Now Jesus says to him specifically, I say to you, and in the Greek, in English, especially Northern American English, we don't do singulars and plurals very well. But he goes from the plural to singular. You, Nicodemus, I tell or I say to you, you're making this declaration, Nicodemus. Let me tell you what you're lacking in order to make this declaration. So he doesn't speak to the we of Nicodemus' statement at this point, but to him individually. Nicodemus, look at your heart. Nicodemus, look at who you are at your foundation. In order to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Jesus lays down a change that's necessary to make the judgment that he's making. 
It requires starting back again, a completely new beginning. It requires someone from the outside to act on Nicodemus' behalf. Because think about birth. You must be born again. Okay, what did any of you do to accomplish your birth? Right? You, you were entirely passive in the process, right? I mean, your parents were involved. God knit you together in your mother's womb, and you were born. A doctor or someone may have assisted in the birth. You yourself were entirely passive. And born again is a passive verb. This is something that happens to you, he's telling Nicodemus. This new birth has to happen to you from God. The new birth requires God to act on you. You can't make it happen. You can't make yourself new. Or, and by the way, the word again could be translated, and your translation may have born from above. That's a legitimate translation of it, and there's debate over whether it should be again or above. Both are true in, that, in this case. It's got to be God's work in you, Nicodemus, this man who's been building up righteousness, this man who's been saying, because I've kept these traditions, because I've done these things, I should be acceptable before God. But Jesus says there in, in, in his statement, Unless one is born again, he cannot. See, he's answering. Nicodemus said, you, you can do these things if God is with you. Jesus turns around and says, you don't have the ability to see the kingdom of God unless you are born again, unless you start over fresh, brand new. Nicodemus, you who have been doing and doing and doing, hoping to have a relationship with God. And there's something else in your English Bible that doesn't stand out. But Jesus says, cannot see the kingdom of God. The word see is the exact same word that, that Nicodemus used when he said, we know. So you could, you could translate this, you cannot know the kingdom of God if you're not born again. He takes Nicodemus' own words and applies them back on him. You have to have new birth to even know what the kingdom of God is all about. So Jesus is disputing what Nicodemus can understand without the new birth. And he's stating that being part of God's kingdom isn't his by reason of his first birth as a descendant of Abraham. That's something Nicodemus would have believed. Would have believed that, that because you are Jewish, you will have a welcome into God's kingdom when the kingdom is established for Israel. He's saying, no, it's not the fact that you're a descendant of Abraham. You have to be born again by God's doing. And that would have been a shocking thing for Nicodemus to hear. He was counting on, you know, it's even stated that you know, you'd be snatched out from the fires at the last minute if you are a descendant of Abraham. It's like, no, no, you have to have the new birth that's brought about by God. And one of the reasons that he says you can't even see it if you're not born again is that the kingdom is, is different than what Nicodemus was expecting. Turn with me to Luke 17, uh, verses 20 and 21, where Jesus talks about the kingdom when he's asked about it, the kingdom of God. He uses the exact 
Freeze questioned about the exact same term there. It says, Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and, saying, and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for the king, behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or your translation may say, The kingdom of God is within you. Nicodemus, you're missing it. The kingdom of God isn't about an earthly rule, although that will happen. If you're going to see, if you're going to know the kingdom of God, you have to be born again so you can see that God is establishing his kingdom here in front of your eyes with those who will put their trust in me. It hasn't gotten to that part, but it, it comes shortly in chapter 3. If you want to see, you have to be reborn. Well, this hits Nicodemus you know, like, a, like a brick, like a ton of lead, right? He says, how can a man be born when he is old? In essence, he's saying, this, that's impossible. Basically, Nicodemus is saying that the new birth for him, it just can't happen. He doesn't have the power. Notice the word can again, right? How can how can a person have the ability to be born again when he is old? And he uses that word three times uh, there in verse 4. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Can he? There's, don't have the ability. That's a great turn from the can he used back in verse 2, right? You have to say, well, he makes this outlandish statement about entering into his mother's what, into his mother's womb again to be born. What did Nicodemus understand by the idea of, of to be born again? And the, the primary thing that comes back again from Judaism of that day was the idea of converting a Gentile, converting to, to Judaism. And they said when a man becomes a proselyte of Judaism, he's born again. Well, that might have been something that, that Nicodemus thought. He says, but I'm Jewish. And I've been practicing Jew all my life. A few other places, things that it's, been, that it's been used for, that idea of being born again or being born new, would be to be crowned king. It said when a man was crowned king in Israel, he was born again. He was born new. Well, he wasn't even of the Davidic line. He wasn't going to become king, so that, that one's out. It was said of someone, a young man, when he was bar mitzvahed or became a son of the covenant, at 13 years of age. Well, he'd already done that long, long before that. It was said of a young man when he married, or a man when he married, that it was, he was like he was born. Well, Nicodemus would have been married long before this if he was on the Sanhedrin. That was part of the, of the requirements. When he was ordained as a rabbi, well, Nicodemus was a rabbi. Okay, when he became the head of a rabbinical school, that was said sometimes that you were born again. Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel, a member of the Sanhedrin, a, a Pharisee. He, he'd done all these things, so either he wasn't qualified to do these things that, that came into his mind of being born again, or he'd already done them. How can a man be born when he is old? And how could he start over new? He'd invested a lifetime in doing these good deeds. 
in avoiding these things that, that the law and the traditions and the, the things that they built up around the law said you ought to do. He'd put his whole life into that. How can he just toss that aside and say, I'm going to start fresh? I'm going to start over. And so he says to Jesus, so what am I going to do? Go back into my mother's womb and be born? Obviously, he didn't mean that seriously. In fact, his mother, if he was already an old man, his mother was probably no longer living. He's just saying, that's how impossible this whole thing is. Is that, is that how ridiculous you're being, Jesus? This is crazy talk, being born again at my point in life. I'm bought into this system. And Jesus, who before said, truly, truly, it's something he, he, he used when he really wanted to draw attention to what he was going to say. John records it 25 different times. And this is the third time. He's already said it once in this interchange. He says, Nicodemus, I need you to pay attention here carefully. Verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. So what, what is this born again? Well, it, he gets... That it's about the spirit, right? And 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 one of the one of the things people think, and that's a good possibility, is that you have to be born physically, and you have to be born spiritually in order to enter the kingdom. Okay? And that could well be, and it fits the context. A Nicodemus was counting on his birth as an Israelite to get him into the kingdom. Jesus says only a spiritual birth will be able to make him be able to enter, and there we have an active verb, not a passive verb, but make him be able to enter into the kingdom. And that makes good sense because it's true, right? Just having a physical birth will never get you into God's kingdom because you are a sinner. But another great possibility is that Nicodemus, as a scholar of the Old Testament, his mind would have gone to the book of Ezekiel that has, these, has parallel terms to what's going on here. So turn with me, if you will, to Ezekiel 36, back right before Daniel. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. What God says He will do one day for the people of Israel. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. Here's kind of the, 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 the goal that God has for His people. He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to... I'm sorry, I jumped to 27, back to 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the, the heart of stone from you, your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. This, so here we have the, the, the idea of washing. I will sprinkle. Notice he says, he doesn't say I'm going to pour clean water on you. He doesn't say I'm going to scrub you with clean water. But I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you in verse 25. 
and you will be clean. Here's a picture of the cleansing from sin that comes out of, out of the law. Back in Numbers 19, we're not going to take, take time to look at this, but there was the, the issue of a person becoming unclean because of t- touching a dead body. Well, how did you become clean again? Well, they would, the, the, the nation would, would, they would kill a red heifer, perfectly red, no, no faults in it. And then they would take those ashes, they would mix them, I would say, with, with living water, with moving water, and the two together would then be, you'd dip hyssop in it, and you would sprinkle it with the hyssop on that person who had become unclean. Ezekiel was now given this picture to show cleansing from sin. God says, I'm going to cleanse you from your sin with this symbol of, of death of, of the, the red heifer for you, mixed with living water, sprinkled on you, it shows that you need to be saved from your sin. Your, your sin needs to be washed away. As a matter of fact, this, this verse isn't in your, in your outline, but Psalm 51.7, David uses that same language to talk about how he needed to be purified from his sin after he had sinned with Bathsheba. And he cries out to God and he says, purify me with hyssop, referring to that process of dipping that in there and sprinkling with water. And I shall be whiter than snow. I'm sorry, with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So Jesus is pointing, I believe, Nicodemus back to this idea. You need to be born out of the water. Your sins need to be forgiven. You need a fresh start without sin if you're going to see the kingdom. But you also have to be born out of the Spirit, by the Spirit. And that's, that's what, what Ezekiel, God, talks about giving us a new heart and a new spirit and putting His Spirit within us. You can't see, you can't know the kingdom Unless you have a new spirit and God's spirit resides in you. Fits perfectly with the rest of the, of the New Testament, doesn't it? And I think those concepts are, are, are opening up in Nicodemus' mind. Oh, this is, this is something far more than I ever thought Ezekiel was talking about. If you're wondering about all this, Paul explains to Titus in exactly the same way. Go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. He says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. So there's, that's wiping out what Nicodemus has been doing, right? It's not how you're saved, Nicodemus, all those good things you did. But according to his mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration. That word just means the washing of new birth. And renewal, making new by the Holy Spirit 
whom he poured out on us richly. How? Through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Kingdom, right? The results, what it is he has for us. And Jesus reemphasizes, if we go back to, to John chapter 3 one more time, And it's verse 6, for that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So, so, so Nicodemus, if who you are is born out of yourself, you were born as a sinner. What you deserve is, is the penalty of sin. You deserve death. He says, but what's born of the Spirit is spirit. And your, your translation probably puts a capital S on the first spirit. I think that's correct. What's born out of God's spirit being in you produces in you a spirit that it can be right with God. And so do not be amazed that I said to you, singular, you, Nicodemus, that you, you all, now he's taking them back to the poor, all of you who have made this declaration, probably all of you who are part of humanity is appropriate, must be born again. Notice there's no, no choice. As he said back in verse 5, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of the Spirit. And you must. It's of absolute necessity that you be born again. All of y'all, right, have to be born again. So now he broadens it back out. It's not just Nicodemus who personally needs this, but all the people he says he represents, all of the Pharisees, all of the rulers, all of the people that looked religious and looked like they had it all together. You've got to start fresh. You have to have Jesus change you. And then he gives him a word picture. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from, where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And interestingly, both in Greek and Hebrew, the word wind and spirit are the same word. So context is what determines, right? So he's saying, let's connect what the, what the Spirit does with what the wind does. It comes from, well, where does it come from? It blows. Where does it blow to? We, we don't know. We don't really understand, even with all our weather forecasting and everything else, try to predict exactly what the wind's going to do. You can see what, it, what the impact it has. It says, but there's a sense in which it's, it's beyond you to, to really grasp. And so he takes this, this word play to have Nicodemus understand that your ability to discern this, your ability to fully understand it, you're, you as the judge, you're not qualified because there's no way for you to fully understand all that the Spirit is doing. So now, according to the word which you've spent so much time studying, trust it and watch what God is doing right now. Understand that you have to be made new. You have to have a fresh start that only God can do. He has to believe, and then he can actively enter the kingdom. 
He's seen the, the results of what the Spirit's been doing in Jesus' ministry. Now he has to believe. And that's where this passage will, will head in the rest of chapter 3. You'll see that the word that's repeated there over and over again is believe, 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 believe. Even though, Nicodemus, you can't really understand all that's going on, you've got to trust the God who is at work. What's Nicodemus's response? Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? There's his can that comes up again, right? How is there an ability for this to even be true? I don't get it. It doesn't register in my brain. He's struggling with all of the knowledge that he's gained and all of the practices that he's had over the course of his life. And he, Jesus will tell him, say in the next verse, is the, the teacher of Israel. In other words, he's, he's one of the pr principal, primary people that everyone else looks to to explain what God's word means. He is a rabbi. He is a master over other people's learning. He's supposed to be the one that has the answers. What is this kid trying to tell him? Huh? How can this be? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus does turn to him. You are the teacher of Israel. Or are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Jesus challenges him again as the one who studied the Hebrew scriptures all his life. He likely had large portions of the Old Testament put to memory. He would have been able to quote that, that passage in Ezekiel I was talking about most likely. These are things he should understand because of the knowledge he's had of the truth that's been given to him. And he should even know them not just to be aware of them or to perceive them, but Jesus uses the word here of knowledge by experience. You are the, the te are you the teacher of Israel and you have not experienced the new birth? In essence, he says back to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, how can this be? You've missed the main point of what you spent your life studying. He should have experientially known the new birth so that he would have the ability to perceive and grow in these truths. But Jesus is exposing Nicodemus' heart that he hasn't counted on God to give him a new heart. He hasn't counted on God to forgive him of his sins. So he doesn't have the ability to make the declaration he made at the beginning. Even though it's true, Jesus could do those things because... Well, he, was, he is God, but the Father was with him, the Spirit was with him. And we leave Nicodemus here this morning pondering. We leave him saying, how does this all fit? Pointed ahead, Jesus is going to give him the answer. It's believe, 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 believe. But as we pause, what do you know about Jesus? And how do you know it? I hope that you've seen in Nicodemus something of your own struggle. Because we all have a tendency to think that we are fit to judge Jesus' works and Jesus' words like Nicodemus did. 
Oh, well, this is true about Jesus because I've reasoned it through. And I, yeah, yep, that's right, Jesus. We tend to forget our own helplessness and our own strength. We don't have the can unless we've been born again. We tend to forget. That's especially true before we believe. The struggle's there. But really, it continues on in our Christian life, doesn't it? Even when we have been born again, do we forget that our ability to understand comes from the new birth, comes from the Spirit who dwells within us, comes from Jesus being our shepherd and guiding us? Believing and trusting ourselves to Jesus is what this life is all about, not just to enter into it, but as we walk it. And I urge you to say, how am I like Nicodemus was in this? Do I proudly make declarations to Jesus about who he is and what he can do? Or do I entrust myself to him, allowing him to give me the can-do of this life, trusting him to make me a new being continually? The new birth isn't just a point in time and then, you know, we mess it up. We become new in him. And then we are his. So I encourage you. First of all, are you born again? Have you received that new birth from Jesus? If not, you need to put your trust in him to do that. But if you have, remember that that now is your key identity. Born new in Christ, into Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, there's so much here. So much that still isn't, hasn't been said about even these, these ten verses. Pray that you would take them and apply them by your Spirit into each of our hearts. Um, for any here who, if there are any here who, who haven't actually been born new or born from above, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would make that choice before you to entrust themselves to you and... and and have you act on them to make them new. And for those of us who have entrusted ourselves to Jesus, we would remember that that's our, our key ability, is your abilities in us as, as ones born new, as those uh, with your spirit dwelling in us, as those who walk with you. Please remember, remind us of this day in, day out, in the days ahead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.